welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. It's wonderful to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost as we think about the ways the Holy Spirit has birthed the church and is in her midst even today. We're in this beautiful backyard setting this morning, and as you look out, you're probably reminded that it's cicada season. And I'm sure if you look around this backyard this morning after the service, you're going to find some of those brood 10 cicadas. It seems like every year we have one or more types of cicadas in this area. They come out of the ground. They, they were an egg years ago. They hatch out of their shell. They fly into trees. They make loud noises during the summer. They lay more eggs and then they die. It is such a weird existence. If we think back 17 years ago, when this particular brood were just eggs, almost half this church probably wasn't even born yet. And the rest of us had quite different lives back in 2004. A lot's changed. But one thing that doesn't change is the cycle of these brood 10 cicadas. They were doing the same thing 17 years ago that they're doing right now in this backyard. On a localized level, there's at least one thing that's going to keep many cicadas from coming out of the ground, and that is development. Let's say that we have a habitat for the cicadas, like a forest that existed back in 2004. Think about a developer who decides to purchase that land, tear down all the trees and grasses, and then pave it over or dig way down and build in order to build a large building or a complex on that land. The cicadas can't reemerge then because there's nowhere to go. Now, it's true that some might get creative. They might find cracks in the concrete to emerge out of. But by and large, the structures that are built up are going to stop the natural cycle of the cicada movement in that particular area. Sometimes those institutions are going to recognize the problem and they'll factor in green space within the large building plans. But to do that takes a lot of intentionality, it takes patience to do the research, and it takes the humility to change course to include as many factors as possible in planning for the building. When structures and institutions become our aim, they can cause us to forget the forces and the movements of nature that bring health to the land around us. Yet when the institution considers these forces, and then builds in order to help preserve them, the structures themselves now continue to tell the story of nature's movements on a regular basis. One of the coolest examples of that that I remember was when I lived in California, there was this restaurant that was built into a sea cliff, and it had a green roof with live vegetation to minimize the excess water runoff. It still looked like part of the land, so unless you knew where to go, it was hard to find. The way it was designed tells you about the forces of nature. The Feast of Pentecost is one of the most important days in the church's calendar. It always follows the celebration of Jesus and his ascending into heaven and ruling over the nations. 
And it reminds us that he doesn't leave us comfortless, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. It's a day that reminds us that the church shouldn't just be an institution that's obsessed with structures, but it's a living organism of people that are being transformed. It has changing contours and it moves through seasons and changes and growth is energized by the renewing and transformative work of the Holy Spirit. When the church as an institution is intentional and patient and humble enough to build its structures on the organic movement of the Holy Spirit, it becomes this revitalizing and sustainable institution for the transformation of human lives and relationships. Today, we're reminded that the church must remain a movement of the Holy Spirit in order to be a healthy institution. In our reading, the group of 120 disciples are waiting in this large meeting space. They've witnessed Jesus risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. Back in Acts chapter 1, they're told to wait for the promise of the Father, which is that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I can imagine the disciples talking in that room, saying things like, So, do you feel anything yet? Nope. Do you feel anything yet? I wonder if we'll get to raise the dead or like provide food miraculously like Jesus or Elijah. Okay, how about now? Do you feel anything now? How about now? No? Now? I can't even imagine how uncomfortable waiting in one place with 120 people feels like. There's patient trust there. No one's saying, well, you know, I've had enough of waiting. I'm not sure anything is going to happen. So let's get on with it. Let's build. Uh, Who wants to lead the charge to Egypt or to Asia or to India? Everyone's committed to waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide the work of mission. It doesn't matter how brilliant the strategists are in the group. There's no God-honoring institution of mission without the presence of the Holy Spirit. So they wait, and then they wait more, and they continue to wait. What happened in that upper room with the disciples was a miracle that was birthed out of patience and not out of hasty manipulation. The Holy Spirit rushed in like the sound of a mighty wind, much like the God appearances or what they call theophanies in the Old Testament, where God reveals himself like it's Sinai or in a wind, fire, an earthquake to Elijah. This was a new theophany for a new covenant community. The house was filled with God's presence and divided tongues like fire rested on each of the disciples. This was the promise fulfilled from Luke's gospel, from John the Baptist, that the Messiah's followers would experience a new baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. The disciples had been waiting in a house, I mean, perhaps with varying degrees of patience, but they had patience nonetheless. There was a humble beginning in a house, not a place of religious or political power. The patience and the humility of this movement were the formational building blocks that would begin the story of the founding of the church. It wasn't in the prowess of strategic leaders, but it was in common people who were patiently waiting for the presence of the Holy Spirit. There were Jews from all around the empire who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Each of them was hearing the disciples in his or her own language. While most Jews would have spoken Greek or Aramaic, we know that some actually spoke the languages from where they came, whether that was some Persian language, Demotic, or Coptic, 
one of the languages of Asia Minor, etc. The good news of Jesus Christ was now being proclaimed to these people in their heart languages. This miracle declared that Jesus really is sitting at God's right hand and is ruler of all. The different groups mentioned move us through the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire, and it ends with Rome, which is where the book of Acts is going to end. The mention of all of these groups serves as this counter-argument to Rome's claim of universal rule. The miracle that occurred here, which compelled the crowds to marvel when they heard the mighty acts of God, was performed by the same Holy Spirit that indwells each one of us when we put our faith and trust in Christ and are baptized into his body, the church. We're not saying that someone has to speak in other tongues to prove a spiritual baptism. That creates a two-class kind of Christianity. And as we affirm in the Nicene Creed, there's only one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And at that baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, during the baptism, when I make the sign of the cross with the baptismal water, I'll pray, Now, Father, sanctify this water by the power of your Holy Spirit, May all who are baptized here be cleansed from sin, be born again, and continue forever faithful in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our conversion is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Let me share a bit about a miracle story of my own life. When I was in probably first or second grade, my parents wanted me to learn good morals. And one of the ways that they chose to do this was to send me to what was called then time-release Bible study, where two faithful Christian women would take us out of public school every Wednesday, and we would go to their house for cookies, sing Christian kids' songs, and we would hear Bible stories with the help of a flannel graph board. You might be surprised to know that I didn't really like it all that much. And in fact, it came to a point where one week I had said very loudly in front of everyone, this is dumb, there is no God. So understandably, I was asked never to come back. And the next week, my parents walked me to these two women to apologize for my outburst. It only took another six or seven years of running from God before the Holy Spirit transformed my heart. The turning from darkness to light is a miracle. Every day requires a conversion of the heart as our affections are brought closer to God's and we're formed into the image of Christ. That daily conversion is a miracle given to us by the Holy Spirit. Some of the more outwardly miraculous gifts are what they call charisms of the Holy Spirit, like speaking in another tongue or healing someone, might take a prominent place in some of your stories. Some of you may be awaiting the outwardly miraculous. The important question is this. Are we waiting on the movement of the Holy Spirit? I appreciate getting emails from several of you who have been in prayer and then you share with me a word that God's put on your heart to share about the work of planting this church or even a word for me personally. I hear the Holy Spirit through you and often I depend on your voices for hearing how the Holy Spirit is at work in this body. In many ways, it takes more faith to trust God for the work of transformation than just for the work of building an institution. You can build an institution with a decent product, with good campaigning, and the right people in place. You can have a good website. You can have good marketing strategies. You can get people to show up. With enough cunning and resources, you can control the outcomes somewhat. Pyramid schemes do it all the time, but that's 
Not the same thing as life transformation. Our vision here is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. And the fact that our transformation is not common means that it's slower, it takes time to explain and to live out, and it's filled with the difficulty of embracing our limits that God's placed on us. It doesn't avoid pain, it seeks the grace and power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of pain and disappointment. It discovers the Holy Spirit in joy and in sorrow. It lives out the life of Christ in unassuming and in intentional ways. It produces whole life change in healthy and surprising ways. It takes more faith to believe that God will produce that kind of uncommon transformation than that an organization becomes sustainable. That uncommon kind of transformation is where I see the Holy Spirit's power as a movement. I've watched you get to know one another, and I get so much joy out of seeing you all share with one another and have conversations and talk about the things that you're going through. The Holy Spirit is working in our worship and in our programs, but I also believe that He is in your relational fellowship and that that space after the service where you talk with one another after having offered God your worship and receiving Him in the Eucharist is one of the most important times for me and for you in this church's growth. As you get to know one another after the service or on walks together over meals or in your formation groups, those spaces are a fertile ground for recognizing the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. It creates the space where others are drawn into the life of the Holy Spirit in community. Those are the spaces where you learn how to rehearse the stories of God's faithfulness with your neighbors, your co-workers, and your family who long for the Spirit's work and may not even know it yet. One of the reasons that we chose Corpus Christi Anglican Church as our name is that Corpus Christi, which means the body of Christ, focuses on becoming the church, which is a healthier emphasis than being a community that just does church activities. On Pentecost Sunday, we're reminded that the church, as this organism, is to be an institution that is inextricably linked with the movement of the Holy Spirit's miraculous power of life-changing gospel transformation. When the church as an institution is intentional, when it's patient, and is humble enough to build its structures as an organic movement of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a revitalizing and sustainable institution that produces the transformation of human lives into the likeness of Christ. So may God grant us the grace to become a healthy institution that's always tethered to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh God, you manifest in your servants the signs of your presence. Send forth upon us the spirit of love that in companionship with one another, your abounding grace may increase among us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.